2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 8, and we're going to hone in on the second part of verse 8 this morning. Well, I think what I'd like to do is uh, read for you a little bit of the context. I, I will review a few verses with you in a moment. Uh, just, you know, we're familiar with this, and frankly, this has been a, a text that I've, I've drawn on so much, and I uh, want to hone in on something specific today. But what I'd like to uh, do is look first at verse 6, and uh, I'll read through uh, verse 11, but then I'll go back and look at verse 8, and we'll focus on the second part of it today for our, our time with the Lord and hearing from him. Hear now the word of God, beginning with verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Let's go back to verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. And the, fo- the part that we focus on together this morning, the second part of verse 8. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I encourage you to be thinking to have this, these words, and especially these words, with you. For times of nearing despair, we are perplexed, own it, but not in despair, own that. You can say, I am perplexed, but I'm not going to be in despair. Christ helping me. May the Lord bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the responding to his holy word. Well, recently I I read the following quote by the Puritan Christopher Love in an article on meetthepuritans.org. And it really struck me more than when I had read it the first time. I thought, that is such a a powerful quote, and uh, I think it came out to me especially because of where we've been in our study of the Puritan's progress recently. And so I, I want to bring this quote to you, and I, I want to think about this topic with you today. Christopher Love says this, Despair is the total eclipse of the mind with the blackest fumes arising from the burning lake of fearful terrors. The context of this article is by Don Kistler sharing a lot of things from the Puritans, helping suffering souls, helping weak Christians, helping them know that you can't uh, even despair so much over your own sins to the point where they take you away from Christ. Despair is is really a very, 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 very dangerous place to be. And our text says, I'm not going to go there. 
it doesn't not recognize, or rather it does recognize there is distress. You know, there, there is perple- uh, uh, being perplexed. There are troubles on every side, and it affects us. And yet, as we just sang in Psalm 42, what am I going to do with it? We're going to let ourselves be downcast, or are we going to recognize it before the Lord and come to the Lord to lift us up in his peace and in his glory? I give you this quote again because what I want to emphasize today is to be careful not to be overtaken in despair because of its great danger. Despair is the total eclipse of the mind with the blackest fumes arising from the burning lake of fearful terrors. I particularly think we need to be warned in a day where we're encouraged to just let our emotions and However we feel, take us over and be our identity, be our master and guide our life. Not a Christian. We have the same troubles and problems all around us, as it says. It affects us outwardly and inwardly, but we don't need to be taken over in despair. It's a danger and it's a sin. And it can lead to terribly, terribly dangerous things. While Christians do become perplexed, they must not become exasperated, and they are so equipped. I give that to you as the main idea of what we're looking at today in the text. While Christians do become perplexed, they must not become exasperated, and they are so equipped. See, when we have despair, we think there's all hope is lost, we've got nothing. We have Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. We have Jesus, the anchor of our soul. We have the King of Kings as our Lord and Savior who has made the God of the universe our friend and our Father and we his children. There's always hope. There's always hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, the broader context, Paul teaches that we take a beating for being Christians. And as Christians... We keep on ticking. You are allowed to express you are overwhelmed. In Christ, you know you are never in over your head. All things trouble you on every side, but they are all for your good and for God's glory. That's what I preached to you in the text many years ago with this as the main point. We carry heavy burdens, but for Christ... For Christ, we carry on. You see, there are many things that are heavy, but they don't have to hold us back, and they must not hold us down. You can and you must defeat despair. That's the message for you this morning. You can and you must defeat despair. You will be often perplexed. That's what he says. We're, we're perplexed all around us, all the time. You will often be perplexed. And we want to recognize that first. We don't want to just gloss over that. Because it's difficult to know how to deal with things if we pretend there's no things to deal with. So you'll often be perplexed. Uh, think about in Pilgrim's Progress, how we've been studying that recently with Derek Thomas's. Uh, video guiding us. And remember back to the slough of despond, or I often think of it as despair. You know, there's all these pitfalls along the way of the Christian pilgrimage. And as he's pointing out, 
John Bunyan is a very past, very pastoral, and he's helping us recognize that to be able to know it's coming and deal with it and and not give up. And it's a miry bog in which Christian and pliable begin to sink. There's a there's a moment where it seems as if they're going to die, perhaps. After Christian is later rescued, he questions. Why hasn't anyone done anything about this? Why haven't they gotten rid of this scary swamp? Paraphrasing. And it is explained to him why it can't be gotten rid of. This slough of despond, of despair, can't be gotten rid of. The quote-unquote filth or fears and doubts that accompany conviction of sin naturally accumulate here into a state of depression or despondency. It's natural that we would grieve over our sins and hate it. That's part of what we understand as repentance unto life. But it's not enough. We also have to be turning to God with the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Or we'll sink there. You think again of the difference between uh, how Judas responds and Peter responds. Peter responds in real repentance that brings him back to Christ. Judas hangs himself. We have to come to Christ and not be overwhelmed in our own despair of sin. It is a dangerous reality to escape. Paul says, in all, in everything, we are perplexed. We are perplexed. Look at the text, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 4. We are troubled on every side, he says, first of all, yet not distressed. What we focus on is, we are perplexed, but not in despair. He said, yeah, we've we got problems, we got difficulties, and they affect us. In the Greek, the word for perplexed means to be at a loss. We are at a loss. You know, it's the reality of life. We can be at a loss for words, right? We can be at a loss of what to know what to do. We recognize, you know, I don't know what's happening. That's a reality. But he also says in this verse, we're troubled, the first part of it. He says, you know, again, we're, we're troubled on every side. And then in verse 9, he says, we're persecuted and we're cast down. You know, some of these words, even like the Greek and the Hebrew, they're they're almost synonyms and there are a little bit of development of ideas, but sometimes it could almost be saying different things, such as cast down, we're in Psalm 42. But there's there's an idea of needing to get out of that. We are cast down, but we shouldn't stay there, Psalm 42. Why my soul all cast down? But again, he's recognizing four times life is hard and a christian life is harder right and doesn't he say in the scriptures the i think dr thomas quoted today that you know those who look to enter the kingdom of heaven will have great difficulty and tribulation right what does jesus say in the beatitudes this is if he's preparing us for what's to come right at the beginning of the sermon on the mount where he's going to tell us how you're going to live as a citizen it's like he prepares us he says you're going to be so blessed but it'll feel like you're cursed And the world will look like it's cursing you, right? Blessed are you when people say all kinds of things against you and lie about you for my name's sake, right? Uh, As one example, it isn't going to be an easy life to serve Christ. The world is against Christ. Satan is against Christ. And while it's true the kingdom of Christ is advancing through the world, look to Revelation 12. The dragon is still trying to devour you if it can't devour him and if it can't devour the woman. And if he can't win you over, 
He'll try to run you over. He'll try to ruin your life as best he can. He'll try to make you a miserable person. And a miserable witness for Christ doesn't mean you're not necessarily going to be truly a Christian. But he'll try to ruin it for you. Steal the abundance of the life in Christ as we would abide in the vine. Even earlier, they recognized this reality, though. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 8 for a moment. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Wow, they're recognizing the difficulties and troubles of missionary work in the ministry, and they're saying, look, you know, we're not kidding. And when we get back to chapter 4, we despaired of, we almost wanted to die. It's just so hard. You just want to give up. You guys ever have that experience? I think everyone has had the experience where, not necessarily suicidal thoughts, but thinking like, Lord, it'd be great if you took me. Just let me be done. I'm done. But the Lord doesn't want us to be wanting to go to heaven to escape He wants us to be ready to go to heaven to be with Jesus in victory. But they're recognizing there's there's a reality here, Christian. You know, if they can confess that before you and recognize it, that's a reality that you are going to experience as well, especially for serving Christ, especially serving as officers of the church. Be ready for it. Be able to own it. You, you can often be at a loss for words and a loss of feeling in your members and thus at a loss of what to do. What do you do? Well, you're not sinful to be depressed. You are free to be open about it to the Lord and others and yourself. Remember that Jesus in the garden, knowing what was coming. So you and I don't know what's coming, but he knew. Yet, uh, as, he, as he dealt with it in his humanity, yet without sin, he said, I am exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Same idea as they expressed in chapter 1. It is so painful. It is so difficult. I'm almost spent of it. Well, if Jesus experiences that without sin, then you are not always necessarily sinning because you have that same reality and can express it. However, Jesus took it to God three times in prayer, and God freed him of his anguish and set his face like a flint to his crucifixion to save you from death and its swamp that Satan runs of utter despair. And if he can't get you to drown in it, he'd like to keep you stuck in it. Stuck in the mud of misery and murmuring an unholy morning. Remember, Jesus came to God three times and the Lord helped him out of that depression and have peace and focus on what he had to do of self-sacrifice. He can do the same for us. He does. Just as we recognize singing Psalm 42 three times in Psalm 42 twice in Psalm 43 right next to it, very short Psalms, a third time the same idea Go to God. Why so downcast, O my soul? Not saying I shouldn't be depressed, but what am I going to do with it? Am I going to stay here? No, I'm going to go to God with it, trusting all his providences, and he means to afflict me to bring me closer to him, which is good for me. All things are working for my good. 
Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disquiet within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet trust in him who is the help, the health of my countenance. God gives us Jesus, and he gives us the means of grace in Jesus to keep going with him. And I want to encourage you to sing the Psalms. Sing those Psalms. Know where they are. Go to them. I mean, so many of the Psalms open with depression and end with Jesus. But those Psalms particularly... I want to tell you, there's so many times, especially in my study, with the weight of the ministry, the weight of trying to come to the Lord, my own problems of life and things of ministry, where I can't, I can't even begin to look at the scriptures. I'm not capable. I'm physically and mentally incapable to begin. What do I do? I take the Psalter off of my shelf. Sometimes I first get on my face on the floor in prayer, but I often, because I can't even seem to get me to do that, I take the Psalter off of my shelf and I turn to such psalms. Psalm 71 we looked at recently is a big one, Psalm 73, and I sing the psalms to the Lord and then I can get to work. I don't allow myself to stay there and sink. I mean, I have a responsibility to you as well and to the Lord, but, but myself, I'm incapable. The Lord lifts me up in his psalms. Don't stay there. Why are you letting yourself stay there? Go to the Lord. He will help you. He will heal you. And beloved, as I told you, I was highlighting through Augustine's Confessions so I don't lose my highlights, and I had a reason to reopen it. One thing that really stuck out to me, he talks about singing the Psalms so often and how singing the Psalms just transforms him and sustains him. Something the early church knew all about. Don't don't deal with it on your own. Deal with it by going to God, and he gives you psalms to sing with a melody on your heart. Make a joyful noise if that's all you can do, and he will lift you up. But you must go to God with your depression. You must go to others with it and not deal with it alone, and you must look up. You will often be perplexed. But you do not need to become exasperated. You will often be perplexed, but you do not need to become exasperated. Back to Pilgrim's progress and the slough of despond. How did he get out? He didn't get himself out. That was impossible. He took the hand of help, capital H, friend, Christian brother. He took the hand of help who came to rescue him. He took his eyes off himself and he put them on to another, a brother, brought him to Jesus, got him back to Jesus. He stopped striving with his own hands, which only would make him sink further, which is the same experience of quicksand. You're in quicksand. The last thing you want to do is start striving on yourself. You're going to sink faster that way. Instead, he stretched them out and he grabbed hold of the hand of help who lifted him out, who set him back on the path to the celestial city. And Jesus, our strength, our refuge, and our very present help in trouble. Paul admits we are perplexed. So often we are perplexed. We're always surrounded by troubles and we are perplexed. But, that being the case, 
But I have some resolve about this, brothers and sisters. Not in distress. Back to chapter 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. And then, particularly, we are perplexed, yes, but not in despair. Not in despair. I'm not going there. I don't have to, and I won't. And that's the opposite of what the world is teaching you, brethren. The Greek word for despair is utterly at a loss. It's one word, but it has the idea of being utterly at a loss. And that's contrasted with when he says perplexed, at a loss. We're at a loss. But I'm not utterly at a loss. There's a big difference. I haven't given up. I still have hope. I'm at a loss, but not in despair. I'm not utterly at a loss. This word despair has the idea of extreme despair, implying anxiety and fear that has taken over and is running our lives. That's a muddy muck that too many of us like to live in and think we can never be freed of it because Satan is a liar, and so are we. It has the idea of to despair completely. Completely. The Greek word exaporeomai, uh, it looks like the word exasperated. I haven't been able to determine for sure if it informs the Latin, which it really is coming from. Usually, a lot of Latin is influenced by the Greek. Uh, but it does have the idea of being exasperated, this Greek word. Intensely irritated and frustrated or annoyed, highly displeased. The idea of just being overwhelmed and therefore out of control. Even if it's just, I'm done. It's interesting, uh, because of the the saints in this congregation, I, I keep Portuguese and Spanish translations on my computer along with the King James, some other translations, the Hebrew and the Greek. And uh, I like to, once in a while, I'm kind of curious how they translate it. And it's very interesting to me, the Portuguese and the Spanish translations of this word for despair, desperado, desperado, desperate, a desperate one. I will not be a desperate one with no hope. I don't have to. I have Jesus. We do self-defeating things out of desperation. Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Your prison is walking through this world alone. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Come down from your, excuse me, uh, yes, come down from your fences, open the gate. It may be raining, but there's a rainbow above you. You better let somebody love you. 
Let somebody love you. You better let somebody love you before it's too late. Let loose of your sorrow in the love of Jesus, the suffering servant, who has taken your burden and given you an abundant life to live with a whole bunch of other brethren who love you and want to love you. Before it's too late. Notice the theme in this and the other verses. Though it is true we are in a state of being troubled, we're never in a state of giving up. We are down, but we're not out. Never in Jesus. Yes, this is happening. This fourfold idea of expressing these things are happening to me. But not this. Yes, these things are happening, but this is not what's going to happen. Yes, this is where we are, but this is not where we're going to go. We're going to go to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who will lift us up, who will guide us around that we don't even fall into it. Many difficult things are given to you in God's providence, but you are not given over to them. Thomas Watson writes, It is not trouble that troubles, but discontent. It is not the water without the ship, but the water that gets within the leak which drowns it. Outward afflictions cannot sting to a Christian's heart, where contentment lies. We have Christ, our help and Savior, and the resurrection as an anchor for our souls. Beloved, lay hold of the hope set before you. And don't sink. Watson also writes, A Christian having cast anchor in heaven, his heart never sinks. He also says, despair casts away the anchor of hope. Then the soul must sink. What will a ship do in a storm without an anchor? Maybe that everyone truly has anchor, the anchor of Christ as their Savior and Lord, and knows to stay holding upon it. As you know, I, I couldn't find the quote. I, God helping me, we'll find it this week and share it with you in an e-devotion, but I'm confident, uh, as much as I can be, uh, Thomas Watson also warns. He talks about all these different sins. I thought it was in the book on contentment. I'm struggling to find it. I'm thinking it might be in the Beatitudes. I'm going to go hunt for it. Pray for me to find it this week, beloved. And I, I hope I'm not making it up, but I'm pretty confident uh, that we've looked at this before. I've certainly quoted a lot, and I want to say it again. The devil, I'm, I'm pretty sure Watson says this somewhere, the devil wants all of our other sins to bring you ultimately to despair. This is his goal. All the other sins that he seeks to uh, torment you with and trick you with and get you to fall down with, they're all ultimately leading to his ultimate goal, the biggest, most dangerous arrow in his arsenal, in his quiver, despair. That's where he wants to get you with everything else. He wants to get you to the sin of despair because that's where he 
likely can hold you there. The purpose is not going out when we're down for us. Look at verse 7 again. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Let me start with verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. That's in our hearts. But we do recognize this treasure he's given us is in earthen vessels, right? Weak. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not us. Uh, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. See, this is ultimately the issue. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. And the suffering and the difficulty and the problems are for Jesus. And the way the Lord leads us through them in victory, though with pain and suffering, is to glorify Jesus. One of the biggest witnesses you can give to the world is suffering and struggling and sanctification and singing to Jesus through it. Not pretending it's not hard, but also looking to Jesus as your anchor to not be sunk in over by it. Think about where Paul goes. We won't turn there. But later in this letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what does he say? I asked God three times if he would remove this burden from me, this thorn from my side. And God's answer was no. My grace is sufficient for you. And what is his response? Oh, man, I can't believe it. No, what is his response? Then, Lord, I rejoice in my infirmities. I rejoice in my troubles because they are my opportunity to show that while I am weak, you are strong. In my weakness, you show your strength. It's about giving glory to Jesus, beloved. And the problem when we get close to slipping into the slough of despond or the swamp of despair is all we are looking at is us. You'll sink like that. And then we try to save ourselves by our own silly flailing limbs and we just sink deeper and deeper. Look to help from God who is your help and look to the help he sends you and your brethren and he will rescue you. You are perplexed, but you don't have to be in despair and you don't want to go there, beloved. Distress must not lead to death, but life. Also in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and now hopeful are abducted and imprisoned in Doubting Castle in a dungeon by a giant whose name is Despair. He, this giant whose name is Despair in the Castle of Doubting, note, this giant beats them mercilessly. And he seeks to convince them to get them to kill themselves. His wife advises us to do them, and he comes back and reports, oh yeah, they're going to commit suicide soon, no doubt. And Christian 
begins to think, maybe not going to kill himself, but he begins to think, well, death would be nice. See, it's different than what Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain, yet I'm betwixt the two. I know it's better if I stay and serve you, right? And he's already had a taste of heaven in such letters in Corinthians, we know. It's different. That's not, it's not saying, oh, I just want to die to get out of here. That's not what Paul's saying. Saying, you know, if the Lord lets me live, i got plenty to do. But boy, there's no better place than to be with Jesus in heaven. But it's not, I want to die because I'm depressed. It's about, I'll, to live is Christ. And to die is only gain, to be close to Christ. It's not, it's not what's being said here. But Christian is thinking, maybe, boy, maybe if I die, I'd just get out of this. This is so horrible. This, this giant despair beating the living daylights out of me is making me want to die. And that's his intent. But he does not give in to such despair and suicide because he is reminded that God forbids murder and he's reminded that others on pilgrimage have escaped this place. Think of the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us that we would continue on our marathon following Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, shaking the sins that so easily beset us, especially the grab of the giant despair. It's the giant despair that makes us go around and do all the other sins more and more. Then we'll just feel more despair over it. He doesn't give in to that. He's reminded of these things by his friend with him, whose name is, again, Hopeful. There's always hope. And that's the witness we need to be giving to one another. There's always hope in Christ. And we have the hope ultimately of the resurrection and the eternal kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. And Christ has promised us joy unspeakable and in the meantime an abundant life to live for him. There is always hope. There's always going to be perplexity. There's always going to be troubles. But you don't have to go to despair with no hope. One website uh, giving a summary of Pilgrim's progress is called Lit Charts. He, uh, it summarizes the success, the success of Christian and hopeful of getting out of the dungeon of the giant of despair, beating them so bad uh, that they would commit suicide. Uh, they, they get out, and Lit Charts summarizes their, their success saying this, however they find that resisting despair actually causes despair, harm. Let me rephrase how I speak that to get it right. However, because they're continuing a thought, however, they find that resisting despair actually causes despair, harm. Suggesting that a despairing state cannot actually hurt a pilgrim unless they choose to believe it. It doesn't reflect reality. Beloved, you can and must defeat despair. Again, that is the message for you. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Why the context? Because Jesus is witnessing, even through my struggles and pain, of his life and power to rise above it. Beloved, you are perplexed, no doubt, but not in despair. You can 
and must defeat despair. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you we are not victims to what the world would have us believe that we can't help ourselves, that we are beyond hope, that we are beyond help. And we must not go within, we must go up to Jesus. If we look at ourselves, let it only be to sooner cry out as Peter did when he was sinking in the waters to Jesus who lifted him up out and put him back on the boat. We will struggle, Lord, with distress and troubles. We will be perplexed and confused. But the answer is always Jesus, our help, our Savior. You have saved us from our sins. And you deliver us from our discouragements. And you protect us from despair. And even when we may find that we have slipped into the slough of despond, or we have been abducted and uh, things led to that where we were unaware, finding ourselves trapped in the dungeon of the great giant of despair and beaten badly by him, we can escape with hope. The hope of Jesus and the resurrection, the truth of your word, the truth of your promises as the anchor of our soul. And our hope will not disappoint. And though, therefore, we never need to be in despair. We do thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for saving and delivering us, promising always to come to our rescue as the great shepherd of the sheep, and that you will lead us, O Lord God, into the celestial city where uh, in your presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Indeed, there perfectly, but even now, we can experience joy unspeakable through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our joy and our life. Thank you we can identify and recognize and own our troubles But let us be owned by Jesus and trust that every difficult providence is ultimately working for our good, for we who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, let us give a witness to Jesus in our weakness and to his strength and protect us and deliver us from despair. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we pray in your name. And all your conquerors who have the victory say, Amen.